Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Hey everyone, Dave here to tell you about my show Cryptic Cocktail Party. Looking for a good time filled with laughter, intriguing tales, and a splash of the supernatural? Well, maybe I can help. Every week I bring on a rotating cast of guests to have a few drinks, share a few laughs, and take a dive into the unknown. Join us as we raise our glasses and tell the tales of some of the world's most famous cryptids, from the legendary Grafton monster to the elusive Dover demon and the enigmatic Mothman. But that's not all. Our party spills over into the world of the extraterrestrial, encounter the spine-chilling Flatwoods monster, the mischievous Hopkinsville goblin, and uncover the truth about infamous alien encounters. You need a dash of mystery? We got you covered. Delve into mind-blowing conspiracy theories such as the infamous Philadelphia Experiment and the secrets hidden within the Denver airport. Cryptic Cocktail Party is a weekly comedy podcast that guarantees laughter, curiosity, and a few surprises along the way. Cheers to the unknown. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming to listen to another episode with us. And just a quick reminder, if you're looking for a way to support the show, uh, you could definitely do so by joining Patreon. But if Patreon is not a deal for you, then feel free to share the podcast with everyone you know. You can always support us by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform that allows reviews. And if you want to write something fun, we will share it uh, on a future podcast. But we just love interacting with you guys and we appreciate that you support us. Yeah. We enjoy everyone that listens. What story do you have for us today, Declan? I'll be talking about Bobby Joe Stinnett. I don't think I know that name. You. It's pretty fucked up. Just a warning, everyone out there right now. Is pretty it? Gross. Oh, is this a? This, is this going to be? Well, you are doing a brutal story today, so is it going to be uh, like really brutal. gross and gory? Oh. Yep. Okay. Man. Well. My story is not really that brutal. It's more bizarre, but um, I mean, there's some brutal elements in it, but nothing probably that even, you know, approaches yours because mine's the bizarre story. So my story is about a man named, and I say named in quotation marks um, for a reason that I'll go into in a minute, um, named Benjamin Kyle. But before I get into that story, I have our cocktail, which is named Dumpster Fire. And the reason I chose this is because 
Dumpster and Fire take a key part of the story. So, not together, but anyway, we'll get to that. So, the Dumpster Fire cocktail is two ounces of gin, three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau, half an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of lemon juice, two dashes of Angostura bitters, and you can garnish with an orange twist. The steps are to add ice to a cocktail shaker, pour in your liquid ingredients and shake well, then strain into a cocktail or a coupe glass and garnish with an orange twist. And if you want, you can even light that orange twist on fire. I didn't try, but I've never known that orange twists would stay on fire, so I didn't even bother trying. But Mm. let's try this cocktail. Oh, it's stronger than I would have thought. I don't know that I... It tastes like a dumpster fire. Love it. I'm guessing that somebody made the drink and said, this tastes like a dumpster fire, and then they stopped doing... I don't know. Anyway, not not a huge, huge fan of it. So we'll just move on to the story then since our drink is kind of not great. On August 31st, 2004, at around five in the morning, The weather was dry and warm in Richmond Hill, Georgia. The temperature was in the mid-70s. A Burger King restaurant worker was getting ready to open for the day and took some trash out to the dumpster. Half of our cocktail name, dumpster. It was an average Tuesday, but for this worker, it wouldn't stay an average day. When she approached the dumpster, she noticed a man on the ground behind the trash bin. He was unconscious. He was naked. And he appeared to be sunburned with fire ant bites all over his body. And there's the second half of our name. The restaurant employees called 911 and the unknown man was taken to a local hospital. The man had no identification with him. He was naked after all. I mean, where's he going to put his ID? But yeah. Yeah. Needing to find a way to identify him, the hospital gave him the name Burger King Doe or BK Doe. Oh. It appeared that the yeah, I, they they weren't very original, but it appeared that the man had three separate impressions in his skull, likely from blunt force trauma. When looking into crimes in the area around the restaurant, there didn't appear to be anything that could be linked to this mysterious man. There were no reports of stolen vehicles, and none of the restaurants or hotels in the area recognized pictures of him. So they had no idea who this guy was. A couple of weeks after being discovered behind the dumpster, BK Doe was transferred in a semi-conscious state to a different hospital. Once he regained consciousness, it was realized that he could not help in identifying his own name. He had 
no idea who he was. He couldn't Jeez. really remember anything, which That's real is handy. terrifying. Yeah. He, he didn't know why he was at the Burger King. He didn't know how he got there. He didn't know what happened to him. He didn't know anything. Travis Walton. So initial, what's that? Is this Travis Walton type story? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it is not Travis Walton. Uh, some initial attempts to identify him included taking his fingerprints and comparing them to multiple national databases from criminal to military and even government employees. But that didn't pan out and they were no closer to identifying him. Over some time, he remembered that he thought his name was Benjamin, but with a unique spelling containing two A's. He had no idea what his last name was, though. Using the name given to him by the hospital staff as inspiration, Wait. he... What? How do you spell Benjamin with two A's? Benjamin? No, B-E-N-J-A-M-A-N. So From normally Jan. it's M-I-N. <laughs> okay. And I will say when I was writing this script, autocorrect kept taking over and saying, no, it's M-I-N, not M-A-N. That's annoying. Not that that matters to anybody because no one's reading it except so, so. for me. Yeah. So he used the K from BK Doe and gave himself the last name of Kyle. So the nameless man was now Benjamin Kyle for all intents and purposes. Benjamin had another health issue that was causing some problems. He had cataracts. The cataracts could have been caused from his time exposure in the sun behind the dumpster. After all, nobody really knew how long he'd been out there, but he was out there in the sun long enough to get sunburns, and then they think that the cataracts might have caused, been caused from that. The cataracts were preventing him from seeing more than just a few feet in front of him, so he was close to being blind, essentially. Such. Yeah. It took some time, about nine months, but with generous donations from strangers, he was able to get cataract surgery, allowing him to finally see clearly. The medical professionals were hoping that regaining his sight might allow him to, you know, if he saw himself in a mirror, maybe he would recognize himself and it would reboot his memory, but it didn't do that. Um, unfortunately, he didn't, he still didn't remember who he was. And when he saw himself, finally, he was surprised because he looked 20 years older than he thought he would. So he didn't have any idea of, you know, his age or anything like that at first. Um, and he was surprised once he got the cataract surgery to see his reflection in a mirror and go, oh, I am older than what I think I am. Having some kind of a name made some things e easier, but it didn't fix his memory and it didn't help his, his life situation. Getting a job and making some money would be crucial to his overall survival, but that would be very difficult without a social security number, which he couldn't recall. A social security number would have not only allowed him to get a job, but it would also help him to get an ID card and even a driver's license. If he had an ID and money, he could find a place to live. 
But without these things, making a regular life was not really a feasible option for him. Being physically well, he was discharged from the hospital, but he had nowhere to go. Shelters were an option, but they often required identification. He could stay at them on occasion, but it wasn't really a long-term solution. So most nights he slept outside, sleeping on the ground. After a few years, he met, he met a nurse named Catherine Slater, and the two became friends. She recognized Benjamin's predicament and offered some financial assistance while uh, he was working some odd jobs for small amounts of money. So he was doing like basically yard work for people and making a couple hundred bucks here and there. She kind of helped to give him a little bit more financial support. But more importantly, she also helped him by getting his story publicized. Catherine encouraged Benjamin to contact politicians and the media, hoping that they could help either get his ID, his like just a government issued ID, um, hoping that that could get resolved. Um, but also by getting his face out to a larger audience with the media, uh, information, thinking that maybe with enough exposure, someone would recognize him and maybe, you know, it would take a few months, but they thought, oh yeah, somebody's going to recognize this guy and then we'll find out who he is. But that didn't happen. So even though he was in the media and they were talking to him and showing his face and explaining where he was found and all of that, nobody came forward saying, oh, I know who he is. Over time, Benjamin seemed to have over time, Benjamin seemed to have some recollection of his life before, but he still didn't remember who he was. So he would have like random kind of flashbacks or he would have knowledge of things. Um, he believed that his birthday was the same date as Michael Jackson, but 10 years earlier, which would have put his date of birth at April 29th, 1948. He had a partial recall of his social security number, which, if accurate, could have meant that he was from Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, or Illinois. He believed that he had a few siblings but couldn't remember their names or faces. He had some memories of Indianapolis, um, of being there as a child, with specific recall of places around the city. So, like, he remembered, like, this building and that building and this monument and that thing. And he remembered it at a time where they kind of were able to piece together, like, oh, he's remembering this thing that existed during this time frame. So, some of the details he recalled... Um, they pieced together. It looked like he had lived in Indianapolis or been around an Indianapolis area from 1954 uh, to 1963. So they researched high school yearbooks from Indianapolis and they couldn't find anything that matched him. Like just nothing. He also had some random memories from the Denver and Boulder, Colorado areas that would have placed him there in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Those are basically the last personal memories that he could recall. However, he did recall reading about the 9-11 attacks, but beyond that, he didn't have any recent memories, including why or how he ended up in Georgia. So even though he remembered like reading about 9-11, he doesn't recall like where he was or what he was doing or anything of that sort. 
He just remembers like Colorado in the 80s. And that's it. Yeah. Benjamin's presence in the media wasn't a total loss, though. His story was featured in a documentary in 2011 called Finding Benjamin. Although it didn't lead to his identification, it did help him finally get a basic identification card, which paved the way for him to get a legitimate job. He began working at a restaurant where he realized that he had extensive knowledge about restaurant equipment, leading him to believe that he was... um, had something to do with restaurant working in the past, possibly having either worked in the restaurants or worked with the equipment or something along those lines. Over the years, efforts were made to identify him using DNA. Multiple genetic websites proved to also be fruitless with no matches. Facial recognition software was used to compare him to people with driver's licenses obtained in Indiana during the time period he was believed to have lived there, But unfortunately, that turned up nothing as well. His true identity just kept eluding everyone until 2015, 11 years after he was found in Georgia. An adoption researcher named, yeah, 11 years. Could you imagine? Like, that's a long time. Not knowing who you are. No. Like, they can't just give you a new identity. Like, they have to. So you just spend 11 years not having, like, a full social security. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's probably really hard to get a like, job. Yeah. I mean, he was able to get that ID card um, and he got a job, but he still didn't have, you know, anything. So in 2015, a, an adoption mm-hmm. researcher named Cece Moore had been working on Benjamin's case for a couple of years. She found a high school yearbook from Lafayette, Indiana, a town about an hour away from Indianapolis. In there, she found a picture of a much younger version of Benjamin, having a name that they found family members to that young man um, in the book, and they then were able to get DNA samples from the family members, and they possibly positively identified Benjamin. However, his true name wasn't Benjamin. It was William Burgess Powell. His recollection of his name was wrong, but the birth date was correct. So he was right on his birthday. It turned out that in 1976, William, who went by Bill, had cut ties with his family and left the Lafayette area. His family filed a missing persons report and law enforcement found that he had moved to Boulder, Colorado. Using his social security number, his work history was found until 1983, but then the trail went cold. There was no apparent trace of him after that. There was no paper trail, nothing, after 1983. His family assumed that he had just, that he had passed away, that he had died. After learning who he was, he met with his brother and he was able to get um, information about his family. But it wasn't a great family history. He had an abusive alcoholic father. Um, His mother was a hoarder who filled the house with all sorts of things. And just in general, he had a difficult childhood. Bill got tired of the abuse from his father and moved out when he was 16 years old, later leaving Lafayette and his family when he was 27 years old. After reconnecting with his brother, Bill 
moved back to Indiana to help take care of his elderly brother, and he met more of his extended family that he had completely forgotten about. Unfortunately, his memory has not resurfaced, and the missing years, including those from Boulder to Georgia, are still missing. So from 1983 on, he still doesn't remember anything, and it's likely that he may never recall them. So he might not know when why he ended he up in Georgia. Again? What year was he found? 2004. Mm-hmm. So there's just like 20 years that yeah. he was actually like missing. 20 years that is completely unaccounted for. From 1983 on. There's no paper trail of him. How he made it behind the dumpster. Nope. They have no clue. Jesus. Yeah. No idea why he was, why or how he got to Georgia when nothing. 20 years after his last reported job in 1983. Yeah. It's crazy. That is freaky. Yep. Hey, what are you up to? Oh, hi. Uh, I'm I'm listening to this awesome podcast. Ooh, I love finding awesome new podcasts. What is it about? Well, it's about a bunch of things. Uh, sometimes history, sometimes hauntings, uh, sometimes it's spooky, and sometimes it's funny, but it's always interesting. Ooh, okay, that sounds great. What's special about it? Well, each week, Celine picks a topic and reads it, and... Wait, uh, what? Matt creates a pairing of a treat and a drink to go with this peculiar tale. Uh, wait. And, and they what? talk about it and they joke about it. Hold on, hold on. And sometimes they have guests and have even more fun. Wait a second. What? What? That's our podcast. Oh, oh well, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. What? Why are you listening to our podcast? Well, you know, we're we're heading into the long dark of winter, and that can make some people feel kind of isolated. And listening to peculiar pairings is a great way to feel like you're hanging out with good friends at the push of a button. Well, that actually sounds really nice. Kind of sounds like everyone should be listening to peculiar pairings. You know, I couldn't agree more. So, if this sounds like it's piqued your interest, you should search Peculiar Pairings Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform today. Yeah, we're everywhere. Come check it out. Find us. We're there. So what is your not so lovely story? Yeah, this is a warning to people who don't like gross stuff. Okay. Do I need I to put a content it, so warning on this? You might want to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's that bad, but I can see how some people would think okay. this is fucked like super fucked up. But okay. I'm also very jaded by all this stuff. So. <laughs> I know. Well, we've we've researched some really messed up some... stuff. So yeah, 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 yeah really, okay. really yucky stuff. 
Bobby Joe Stennett was born on December 4th, 1981, and graduated from Nottoway Holt High School in Graham, Missouri. Stennett and her husband ran a dog breeding business from their residence in Skidmore. Bobby would often bring her dogs to shows and even brought home some awards from these shows. People that I'm sure everybody knows, but dog shows are like people who breed dogs, like get them all manicured up and looking good and they parade them around for people to judge them and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Dog shows were very beneficial. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. Just hanging out with dogs all day. Dog shows are very beneficial for her business because many people would see the quality of her dogs in person. At a dog show in uh, Abilene in 2004, Bobby met a woman named Lisa Montgomery. Lisa told Bobby that she was interested in a dog and took down her contact information. Later that Wait, night, did Lisa you say what kind Bobby of dogs? A, uh, terriers. Terriers, okay. I love my dogs, Later that so night, Lisa found Bobby on an online chat room called Ratter Chatter, which is where rat terrier oh. enthusiasts would share stories, advice, and questions about rat terriers. Okay. Which I don't really know what that looks like, but it doesn't sound like a very cute dog. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, Lisa chatted with Bobby under the alias Darlene Fisher and mentioned she would like to set up a meeting to view her dogs for purchase. The two continued to chat for a few months and the topic of pregnancy came up, to which Lisa lied and told Bobby that she was also pregnant. Mm. The two agreed on a meeting date at Bobby's house. On December 16, 2004, Lisa entered Bobby's home and the two chatted. Shortly after, Lisa attacked Bobby. Lisa strangled Bobby in her home and immediately walked to the kitchen and picked up a knife. Lisa approached Bobby's body and began cutting her stomach open. <gasps> Bobby Ew. was eight months pregnant at the time. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That. Lisa took Bobby's unborn baby and fled the house. An hour later, Bobby's mother walked through the front door and found her daughter dead in a pool of blood. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. Yuck. Oh. Paramedics were unable to revive Bobby and she was pronounced dead. Later that day, Lisa called her husband and told him that she had given birth while she was out shopping. Seems pretty okay. implausible, but... <laughs> First of all, I could see mm -hmm. lying to a stranger and convincing them that you were pregnant, but your husband should know if you're pregnant or not. <laughs> yeah, that would raise some red Just flags saying. for sure. Uh, pregnant 100%. enough to give a bait, like give birth is very right pregnant. to a full term, a <laughs> close to full term baby. And you just come carrying yeah. it home. By the way, I'm not spending the night in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. This I'm one just, just fell like, out oh. while I was on aisle seven. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the people of Walmart, right? <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. For real. 
I hope to God you gave birth on the diaper aisle. So police immediately, like, investigated and they did some, uh, I guess you'd call it computer forensic. Like, they went through all of her emails and stuff and found this Darlene Fisher that she was talking to. And they thought she might be a, a witness. So they went to Lisa's house the very next day hoping to speak with Darlene Fisher, who is not real. Right. They were able to match her address to the prospective buyer, Darlene Fisher. And when police arrived, they noticed the car in the driveway matched the one that was seen at the crime scene. Okay. So somebody saw her vehicle at Bobby Joe's house. Okay. Yeah, the neighbors. Well, that's when good. the police talked to them, they was like, oh, there's a little rinky dink car or whatever. But okay. when police entered the house, they saw Lisa sitting on the couch holding a baby. <gasps> Lisa was questioned for about an hour and finally confessed after her story fell apart. She was arrested and charged with kidnapping resulting in death, which faced life or death penalty. Oh, Oh, please tell me she got death. (laughs) I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) Don't worry. She's actually, uh, I won't get ahead of myself. Okay. On October twenty second, two thousand seven, jurors found Montgomery guilty, rejecting the defense claim that Montgomery was delusional. On October twenty sixth, the jury recommended the death sentence, and Judge Gary A. Fenner formally sentenced Montgomery to death on April fourth, two thousand eight. Which, uh, at the time, she was the only woman on federal death row, and she was that way for years. Yeah. Okay. After every appeal was denied and on January 13, 2001, the United States Penitentiary in Terre Haute, right? Yep. Terre Haute? Yeah. Terre Haute. (laughs) Terre Haute, Indiana. Lisa was executed via lethal injection. In her final days, Montgomery had kept a calendar marked with Joe Biden's inaugural date. Joe Biden had promised to enact a, a moratorium on capital punishment at the federal level, but... Apparently that didn't save her. Not even Joe Biden oh. could save her. Oh wow! Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, really Holy gross moly. story. Yeah, it is. I'm glad that you um, uh, you just powered through that. The baby's so that still alive could... though. <laughs> oh good. I did try and yeah, she turned 18 this year, I think. Okay. Yeah, she was, after the police uh, retrieved her from Lisa, they gave her to the father. To the father. Okay, that's good. Could you imagine, like, growing up in that? Like, all my friends have mommies. Where's my mommy? Well, how do you even (laughs) broach that subject with your child? I mean, you have to tell them because eventually... You know, it's going to end up on, she's going to listen to a podcast. She's going to listen to a podcast and hear about it. Or she's going to see a news article about it. And, oh, my God, she could end up seeing crime scene photos and stuff. Oh. That would be awful. That's horrendous. For sure, that would be awful. Yeah. Hmm.
Do you have a chaser to make things taste better after listening to that? I do have a chaser. My chaser is the new Kevin James special that was dropped this year. And Just it's a fairly couple clean, weeks ago. But yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, I think, and it's it's worth the watch. It's pretty funny. It was it's not it like was good. Yeah. Jaw dropping, but it, it's got some good laughs in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's your chaser. My chaser is an Instagram account um, called Ranker History. It's uh, at Ranker History. And um, they have a lot of like really weird, like some true crime, some bizarre, some just like weird, like top 10 kind of stories and stuff but then they also have like just weird stories about like a person who you know turned up dead and then there's weird stories behind it and stuff but um I actually use it to like kind of find some ideas for stories that I cover on the pod because they just have like random stuff on there all the time so it's kind of a cool little it's not one of those i mean i'm not huge into like you have to go to this link to go to that link to go to that and then the clickbaity stuff mm-hmm. they definitely have some like extensive like you have to go through it but it's not typically just like one story per post that they do it's it goes back to an article but the articles are you know little concise things with like oh these are these stories so it's kind of cool if you're interested in like some weird off the wall mm. topics they've got mm. some you on should there. check out um uncanny events i think is what it's called on instagram and oh he'll post that's how i found the twilight story like he'll do um oh. like a little meme format of uh like Mr. Incredible where he's like normal and then it switches to him like looking creepy and scary and stuff. And it's like people who know and it'll oh, show yeah. like part. So it showed like the part of the scene where the helicopter crashes and it's like people who know. And then it'll just like explain what that's from like in the comments, like do like a whole paragraph explaining okay. it. Ooh, so I found I like some that. pretty interesting. A lot of the out. things though is like it, they're too quick to be a podcast thing so maybe we'll talk about those on right. patreon or something oh yeah, yeah that'd be good i like that we're gonna have yeah. all sorts of fun stuff on patreon yep i think it's kind of kind of be like a free-for-all for a little bit but oh for sure yeah i mean it's all good all right. nice chatting with you bud yeah you too Love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.